right. Happy, what is today? Tuesday. Happy Tuesday, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, welcome to those listening on the audio stream. So this is episode number 133 of Shut Up and Grind with your host, yours truly, the tank top wearing phenom himself, Robert B. Foster. So today's show, we're going to be talking about music and the effect that music has on the soul. All right, so my guest today... He lives lives and breathes mu- music, started with a song he wrote 40 years ago, but we're going to get into all of that after I introduce myself to you. I started doing workshops and doing groups where I'm getting up in front of, front of others, like outside of the gym setting and talking about resilience and perseverance and goal setting and vision and taking action. You should know what one hour of your time is worth. You should know the value that you bring to the marketplace. You know what your passion is. Starts with clarity of vision. If you don't have the clarity of vision, whatever next thing you get, you're not going to see it through because you don't have the clarity of vision. So the, the point of my pain was being told you will never run or jump again all that stuff I was like you know what like I want to be able to take this even bigger if you know why you do what you do you have to know how to charge for what you do that's how you're going to change your life and that's how you're going to leave a legacy for your children and your family you gotta know your work All right, so during that intro, I just decided right now that when I start each show, I'm going to start off with a teachable moment, right? And so today's teachable moment, and these will be short moments. So today's teachable moment is going to be finding the power in your story. So when most people tell stories, they talk about what happened to them. So like this happened to me, that happened to me. So finding the power in the story is what's the lesson in what happened to you? Like, what did you learn? How were you able to move on from it? What did it teach you? What can you teach others? Like when I talk about being told that I'd never run or jump again, you know, I could turn that into a woe is me story or I can, well, those of you who listen to the show on the regular, you guys know, because I've shared that story over and over, but I took that and turned it into something that I can teach others, whether it's other athletes or just anyone that's been told by someone else that they're not able to do something. And I use that story to share that message about not letting people put labels on you. So that's the teachable moment. So I want you to think about something that's happened to you in your life and extract a teachable moment from it. And if you're listening live and you, you want to drop drop something in the comments, I'll re- read it on there if you want me to. But uh, or, or if not, just do it on your own and just see, all right, so this happened to me. What's the lesson in it? And how can I use it to inspire someone else? Okay, so that's today's teachable moment. And so, again, this is episode number 133. So with my Monday show, I put a halt on that because the panelists keep not showing up. And I don't understand why, why you sign in, you wait a couple months, and then I put out the debate topics, and then all of a sudden they're afraid to debate. So the, the point of a debate show is to have difficult conversations. So don't sign up for a debate show if you're afraid to debate. <laughs> so so when, once I get confirmed guests again, I'm going to start that one back up. 
but like I had it booked out for I want to say 12 straight weeks and not one of the shows that I have all five panels not one <laughs> so we're gonna pump the brakes on that we're gonna re- we're gonna rebrand it and then we're gonna bring it back again on Mondays all right so let's get into today's message all right so I have a guest on this guy's got a great personality a lot lots of energy and we're gonna get into his backstories. But he's a songwriter, he's a photographer. He's got 14 albums of soft, soothing, instrumental piano music. And it all started with his first song that he wrote called Rachel's Song. Now, I listened to it. I'm actually going to put a link in the comments section. And if you're listening on the audio, I'll post a link to it in the description. All right. But he's, like I said, you know what? Let's just bring him on. We, we, don't, we don't need all this, all this intro stuff. Let's just bring him on. Welcome Dave Combs to the show. <laughs> Well, thank you, Rob. It's good to be here. Thank you. <laughs> Glad to have you. Thank you for taking the time to share with, with myself and the audience. Good to have you. It's good to be here. Yes. Uh, all right. So where are you joining us from? I am in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. North and Carolina. Uh, you can see my piano and keyboard behind me there. And uh, oh, yeah. that's, I'm at home, of course, but uh, <laughs> I'm enjoying the uh proximity to my musical instruments but yeah i live in winston-salem north carolina right in the middle of the piedmont here okay nice yeah i like i like north carolina that's probably going to be my retirement destination when the time comes i love love the mountains out there in the western part of the state oh yes i I, i'm from the mountains of east tennessee so uh, i love the mountains too and so when you come to Asheville, Boeing rock north carolina all the western part right on the parkway it is a it's a it's an all day long love affair with nature is what it is. Yes. Yes. So, so, so true. And so many, so many nice people. I was actually just down there in April. I went to, I was just South of Asheville, Hendersonville. And oh, I yes. went, I went to a chimney, chimney rock. Chimney State rock. Park. Yeah. Chimney rock beautiful. State park. beautiful yes. area out there. Yeah. Lake Lure. I went there. Yes. Lake yeah, Lure, I, yeah. I went out there and I started writing my book, just sat, sat out there in the mountains and just started, cranking away it's inspirational so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's great all right so let's so let's dive in so the question i ask all of my guests who who is dave i mean i don't ask them all who is dave i ask them who who they are <laughs> but for today who is dave well i am a uh, my wife would as a lot of people say i'm a renaissance man because i like i have so many things i like to do i, I like photography i like music I like sports. I like to play ping pong. I like uh, sculpting. I've done some sculpting. I like to do sketching. I love to ride my bicycle. You know, it's just, I like to do a lot of things and I'm a very, uh, I'm a very analytical person, you know, a pretty, pretty left brain kind of guy, but sometimes that gets me in trouble. But uh, anyway, I, I just, I was a math major physics minor, so don't hold that against me. But uh, anyhow, so I, I grew up in the mountains of East Tennessee and I was a very fortunate uh, young man to get to go to college. You know, not many in my family had gone to college. My mother had gone to two years of college and taught school. And my father similarly had parts partially to college, but it really wasn't, you know, we were pretty poor. You know, we, we didn't have a whole lot of money. So uh, I was just was blessed to be able to go to college, get a good job after that. And, and to develop my myself as a person and, some of my skills, whether it's uh, I was a computer programmer in my early years. And so I used my math and physics training in, in that main, in that vein. But uh, mm-hmm. and music's always been a part of my life. So 
it's just, uh, I guess, it, who asking who I am is I'm I'm a lot of things, but I'm I'm some sometimes a little bit too distracted, as my wife would say. But I I like to focus on what I'm working on right now, which is right now I'm working on my music and my book and so forth. But um, I just enjoy telling all these stories to folks like you about how I got from East Tennessee mountains of a, you know a, a boy that lived there that didn't know whether he was even going to go to college. So now I have had a great job and uh, have had a good, great career. And how did I get from there to here is, a, is a, a lot of little stories. And each of those stories, like you said in your opening, has a lesson to be learned in each one of them. Yes, absolutely. So I'm right there with you with, with the focus issue. I got squirrel syndrome so, so bad because I'm, I'm a very abstract thinker. And so like, I think of one thing and then something else pops in, then something else pops in. <laughs> like I'm the, I'm the person that has 20 different browsers open. You know, I have four online programs, not one of them alive. Because <laughs> it's like, it's like I, I finished one, then I jumped right, right to something, then I jumped to something else. It's like uh, such a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, so true. Yeah. All right. So you said that you guys grew up pretty, pretty poor. So like des describe, describe your childhood. Well, uh, in the uh, mountains of East Tennessee, I grew up in Unicoi County. The whole county didn't have but like 13,000 people. And the, okay. the town of Irwin, Tennessee only had maybe 5,000 people. So yeah. everybody pretty much knows everybody else. And I grew up in a very uh, neighborly community. You know, everybody knew everybody else and supported each. If somebody had a problem, everybody piled in to help and that, and that mm. kind of thing. So it was really close. I had a lot of involvement with my church. I went, I'm a Southern Baptist. And so I went to Calvary Baptist church, all my, my earliest memory. I'm sure I was in there in, in, in the kindergarten age. And, and so, and I, I'm sure I've caused all kinds of havoc with the, the, the church there with all my shenanigans. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, I remember one time my mom said they caught me climbing the corner of the church. It was a rock church mm -hmm. and these rocks had good hand. You know, you could grab, grab hold of those handles <laughs> on the, the corner. Next thing I know, I'm halfway up the corner of the church and they had to come get me down. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a little adventuresome too, I guess. But uh, that, that background with all those friends and family and classmates and my, we only had one high school in the whole County. So you oh, knew wow. all your classmates. And, and then from there, I went to college at East Tennessee state university, which was only 15 miles away in Johnson city. Yep. But uh, that gave me my big, training in how to do computer programming and training as a mathematician and so forth. And that ended up getting me a really good job with a big company. Now, back then, the, the objective for most people like me would have been you find a great company, whether it's an Eastman or a Western Electric or an AT&T, a big company. If you can get a good job with that company, you stick with them for 25 years, retire, and you've, you've had a great life. Yes. Well, boy, have times changed, Rob, as you know, if, if, if you hang on to a job at a company to this day and time for two or three years, you've done good. Yeah. But back then, my objective was to, to get out of college, get a good degree, get a good job and and make a good, good, solid living, uh, earning my earning my money as a computer programmer. And I moved over here to Winston-Salem. That was in 1969. 
That's okay. a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> that's but, the year, uh, my, yeah. That's the year my brother was born. So, so you'll be glad to know that I know most of those places you just mentioned. Because my my now ex wife is from Kingsport, Tennessee. So I spent a really? lot of time in eastern, yeah, eastern Tennessee. So I'm very f- familiar with Johnson City, with Eastman. I think her dad, I believe, still still works over at Eastman. Yep. That's a lot. Most of my uncles and aunts or my uncles and cousins ended up working for Eastman. That was just kind of the the big company to work for. Mm-hmm. And uh, so a lot of my relatives, I'm my my family is from southwestern Virginia, just as just across the line from Kingsport into Virginia. OK, like Bristol uh, area. Uh, no, it's called Gate City near Big Stone. Oh, Gap, Gate City. That, OK, County area. It's really, really rural. You know, my yes. grandpa and grandma had a hundred and sixty acre farm back in the hills wow. there in, in scott county so my my one of my most pleasant memories are the weeks that i'd spend in the summer at grandma and grandpa's house or my mm-hmm. cousin's house on the farm you know get up at the crack of dawn and go with them to milk the cows and mm-hmm. go put up hay and go and then play baseball in the afternoon with the kids you know the cousins it's just <laughs> a, a great life yeah sounds it that's awesome all right so you you go to college so what what are your initial thoughts when you get when you get accepted into college? First of all, how in the world am I going to afford it? Mm. You know, even back then now, now get this. <laughs> your listeners are not going to believe this, but this is the truth. The tuition at East Tennessee State University, and it was on a quarter system, not semester, per quarter was fifty five dollars. Wow. <laughs> $55. No zeros missing. Yeah. And even back then, you know, $55 was a lot of money in 1969 for me that I didn't even have a job. Our family had didn't have big, big savings or anything. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, the East Tennessee State was, I was within my, I was determined to go and I didn't know how. Yeah. But here's an interesting thing that at, at my high school graduation, I'm sitting there with all my 243 classmates. We were a big class. And the school principal, he's it's the end of the program, and he's announcing all the awards. You know, they're printed on the back of the program that so-and-so gets this award, that award, this scholarship, that scholarship, whatever. And my name's not on the back of the program, so I'm sitting there, you know, waiting for that to get over with. And then Leonard Gallimore, the principal, he says, <clears throat> said, I, I have one more award to announce. That's not on the program. And he said the Irwin Kiwanis Club has decided to award their scholarship to David Combs. Awesome. And I'm going, whoa, did I just hear my name? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I had no idea. And so when I, I stood up to be recognized, I looked over at my mom's. My mama sitting on the front row of the bleachers. It was on a football stadium, sitting on the front row of the bleachers. And she had this big smile on her face. Neither, we didn't know about this. And it turns out one of the precious members of our church was the, in the Kiwanis Club. And apparently he had seen to it that I got their scholarship this year because he knew I could not afford to go to ETSU without it. And I wow. still almost choke up thinking about that. It, that was so uh, unselfish and so loving of them to do that. And, and I didn't even I never knew until probably last year when I found some papers that his, his name was Ed, Ed Hammer. He and his wife, Lucille, had no children. They were in our church. But yeah. apparently they, they just adopted me in a, in a way and said, this boy deserves to go to school. Let's give him a scholarship. So uh, that's how I got it. Got to afford to go to ETSU. 
I love that. Yeah, my daughters went to a prep school here. Uh, it's starting to echo now. Not, not on this end. No? No, because no, 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 on my no, no, no. Right, Let me try to do this real quick. All right. Hello. All right. We'll let it go. All right. So, so my daughters went to a prep school here in Providence. And... You know, the tuition is like $14,000 a year, I want to say. And at first I was like, uh, <laughs> we, we definitely <laughs> we definitely can't afford that. But, you know, you still you go through, you, you apply, you apply for aid. And I guess there's wealthy, there's wealthy people who sponsor the students, mm-hmm. which, which I didn't know that. So, so they go through, you, you do your aid. And then so out of pocket, we only had to pay $125 a month per per child so 250 a month to get two kids in which would have cost almost 29 grand and yeah. I didn't, and i didn't even know that they did the sponsorship thing until they had an awards night and so we go to the awards night and we we actually got to meet her sponsors and i was like wow. oh my god i was like guys i was like thank you very very much like i didn't even know that this is how that happened you know, it was like you apply for aid, you figure it's some like government program or some mm-hmm. grant program. Mm-hmm. But these are people writing checks, you know, out of their own bank accounts to sponsor these these kids. So stuff like that out there definitely happens. It's amazing. Yes. And it's really, really special. And those people are uh, they, they deserve any praise that you can send their way. That's for sure. Absolutely. All right. So so once you got that, take me through the next steps about how, how you got started and what was your mindset? Well, of course, my focus all through college was, you know, get through it without flunking out of anything. I, I made good grades. I made good grades. That was not an issue. But I took I was so focused on math. I love math. And, and I took every math course that they had available. I actually have enough credits to do a degree and a half of math. I don't know why. Looking back, I probably should have taken a lot of other electives and other subjects just to broaden my interest. But no, I was focused on math. But when I graduated, uh, Western Electric was hiring computer programming, computer programmers. And so I applied. And when I went for my interview, he said, well, you know, what's your, I see here you've been working in the computer center all four years in programming. And he said, wow, you've got four years of experience coming into the job. Uh, I'm, I'm prepared to make you an offer. <laughs> and I said, wow. I'm prepared to accept it. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. So I, that's how I got my job. Uh, I came over here to Greensboro to interview and Western Electric hired me. And uh, it was uh, 10 days later from graduation. I started my job at Western Electric. So it, awesome. it was a great transition. I, I love my job. The just being able to to work with people with other really smart people that were programming and it made decent money. And it was it, Winston-Salem's a great place to live. It's a uh, you know, home for the Wake Forest University, uh, Winston-Salem State University, the school, North Carolina School of the Arts is here. So there's great music performances here all the time. So it's a great place to live. And so we, that, that was in 1969. And we've been here for the most part ever since. <laughs> yeah, my uh, my oldest daughter, she's she's in college now. She's uh, She starts ne- next week. She's going in as a junior and she's taking kinesiology. And I told her to well i mean she can obviously work with me in the gym but i want her to work in the field independent of me first just so she mm-hmm. can get that experience and then mm-hmm. she can work she can work with with, with me because i thought i said you know as of right now 
you 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 can say that you might want to do, do your own business, but you don't really know. So just in case you want to get some experience out there, you know, working in someone else's gym. But the point of this is like doing what, what you said. People don't understand how valuable experience is. Mm-hmm. You know, it's so, so valuable. Like I used to manage restaurants and I would have cooks, you know, come in and apply and they have culinary degrees. And so you just think with a culinary degree, they must jam. <laughs> and then you get them in, but like, but they never actually worked in the restaurant. So they move at classroom pace. <laughs> and it's like, uh, <laughs> classroom pace ain't cutting it. <laughs> it's like, no, no, no. no. So, so I stopped, I stopped hiring the kids fresh out of, fresh out of college. Yeah. I stopped hiring kids fr- fresh out of college. And like, I would take that person that didn't have a degree but they they had four years line cook experience because I can teach them what they need to know. It's like you can't teach someone driving energy, <laughs> you know. You, right. you just can't. Mm-hmm. It's like either you have that or you don't have it. So, all right. So like when, when so you're working there. What was your primary job? You, you said computers, right? Computer programming. I was in okay. the gov- government systems. You know, there was a big anti-missile program going on back in that day and time. Mm. And, and Western Electric was one of the big subcontractors on the, the software and that went into this anti-missile defense system. Gotcha. And uh, so I, they had lots of government um, government contracts. And so I wrote programs like I wrote a, a, a government billing con, a billing system for them to bill the government for the work that they had done. Yeah, I did an employee's accounts system for people that traveled all over the world. You know, when they come back and want their money, they, they turn in their vouchers for their travel expenses. And yeah. so I did the system for that. And so it was, and back then programming was different today. You have a big team that, that writes the program back then I was the team. My boss yeah. said, okay, Dave, here's the, here's what we need. You're it. You, you design it, you, you write it up, you program it, you document it, you implement it. I mean, you're it. And that was great training too, because you got to see all aspects from the, the process of creating a, a, a big project. So I learned a lot from that. See, and then you had people like like me. I used to make programs to, to do my homework. <laughs> <laughs> like I would input the equa- equation, it would spit it would spit out the answer. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I took it in a different direction. Yeah, like my, my father wanted me to go in, into com- computer engineering because uh, this was in I graduated in 1992 from high school, and. He wasn't wrong because everything is computerized now, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. everything is. So like, had I gone into it, to it then, but it just, it just wasn't what I wanted to do. Like it, just, it wasn't what I was passionate about. I wanted to entertain, you know, whether it be on TV mm-hmm. or be on stages. And, and so now like having a podcast and doing like being a virtual guest on other people's platforms, it's like, that's exactly what I wanted to do. So when did when did you make the transition from IT into music or back into music? That is a great question, because the uh, if you back up into my backstory, I grew up in a musical family. My mom and dad both played uh, the piano. My grandmother, Combs, she played an old pump organ. In fact, over here to my right sits an old pump organ where you okay. can literally pump the, the pedals to get the yeah. air flowing in the, the, the thing. <laughs> I remember that. I come from a music, musical background in terms of the, everybody that I was around. And I, the joke is that if you're from Tennessee, 
you have you have to play something. I mean, there's music. They don't call Nashville Music City for nothing. So yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I grew up around music, and of course, church music was very important to me. I loved the choir music. I, I big day when I was old enough and my voice had matured enough that I could sing in the choir. I don't remember when you, nice. you remember when your voice changed. Oh, you yeah. used to talk like this. <laughs> yes. like that, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, I, that was a, a great day with get to sing in the choir. And then I evolved into, uh, I, they let me direct the choir occasionally when the minister of music nice. was gone on vacation or whatever. And in the meantime, I was also learning my piano skills and I would play the piano for offertories in the church with the organist. And she was, the organist was kind of my musical mentor. Her name was Doris Miller. And she was a dear soul, very patient. She put up with me and my, all the mistakes I made playing, but I learned one thing that in a, when you're playing a song, it's like in life, you can't, there is no do over. <laughs> you don't stop and say, Hey, I've made a mistake here. Let's back up a measure and play that again. Nope. The music <laughs> goes on. <laughs> life yes. goes on. So you've got to learn to just adapt and keep on going. So, so that was the beginnings of my music and just the foundation as I was growing up all through college, I sang in the university choir. I've, I'd go in the music department and play on their practice pianos and that kind of thing. And then so music was a big part. In fact, my church hired me as their part time minister of music on uh, the, my last two years of college and uh, to help me through my expenses and so forth. And so when I graduated, got my new job within a year, I had also taken a job as a part time minister of music here at a church near Winston-Salem. So I've stayed involved with music as in addition to my career, really all my life. And uh, <clears throat> but it wasn't until in 1980 when I wrote uh, 81, 1981, when I wrote Rachel's song. But uh, let me back up just a minute. We haven't talked about a very important person in my life, and that's my wife, okay. Linda. She I met her within uh, about three months of moving to Winston-Salem. Okay. Started work on June 16th, and I met her on September 1st. I never will forget that day. And so she marched into my life and has never left. But it, uh, she is a wonderful person. Uh, she's my soulmate. She's she's my inspiration. She's the, my motivator. She's the one that gets me. Why don't you write a book and you know stop just thinking about it? Let's just go do it. You know, mm -hmm. get put some action behind your thoughts here. And so Linda is a big part of my life and she is just a wonderful person. She's a, she started out as a school teacher and she progressed her career. Her career actually skyrocketed. She went from school teacher to assistant principal working for a bank in the uh, student loan processing business to being on the school board in Forsyth County and then getting a call from the white house. Wow. So they, they called and said, we want you to come for, and this is back in president Reagan's time period. Yes. President Reagan wants you to come and work in the Department of Education in Washington, which she eventually did. And then that she progressed. Once she got there, she started going up the, the ladder there and ended up. Uh, she has she has five United States Senate confirmed jobs. So she's gone before these confirmation committees five times and lived to tell about it. It's so, amazing. And gotten unanimous votes every time. And so she, her last job in, the, in, in Washington was she was the controller of the United States under President uh, George W. Bush. And uh, so that's her career has just gone from being recognized as a wonderful teacher, a wonderful leader, and her skills with people just catapulted her 
to where she she finally landed in her jobs in Washington. And today, even today, she's still working. <laughs> she is the controller for the state of North Carolina in Raleigh. She has about 200 people that work for her that handled part of the finances for North Carolina. She runs, her group runs payroll for 90,000 people. And yet in the last year and a half, they have all worked from home. It's uh, the story, she she was so experienced everywhere she went in Washington. She had she was there when Katrina hit. She was there when the anthrax uh, thing happened. Oh, yeah. She was there. In fact, she was in her car on the road within sight of the Pentagon when the plane hit the Pentagon. She saw the smoke come up oh, from no. the Pentagon. And wow. so she was there for that. So every, just about every, oh, when the, uh, the space shuttle blew up, she was in the Department of mm. Education. And remember that shuttle had those teachers on board. Yeah, that was in 84, right? Yes. So yes. I believe that's right. Yep, so it was she's 10 been years around old when it happened. Yeah. <laughs> so she's been around a lot with all of these things. And so she's so extremely well thought of and is a great mentor to people. And Linda and I don't have any children, but over the years, we have worked with organizations and worked around a lot of people. And we've had a lot of people work for us. And so we have a bunch of kids that have adopted us. And, I, yes. and those are the best kind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they're just they're just wonderful. And now they're growing up. They've got kids of their own and it's just a, a wonderful relationship. But that's uh, so that's that's my wife, Linda. I couldn't I'd be remiss if I didn't brag on her a little bit. She's she's special. Yeah. So, so, sounds like I might have to have her on as well and get, well, her, I, back, get her backstory. Yes, she, she's, she's got quite a back. She could probably make me look like an amateur on the on the screen here. So <laughs> she is a, <laughs> she is a great presenter as well. Awesome. Good, good. All right. So let's talk about Rachel's song. How, how did that come about? Well, the, I, one, of the, uh, one of the things I've always done when I want to relax and reduce my stress is just to sit down at the piano and just play something. You know, I don't know what you do to relax, but I just doodle around on the piano and just play something or turn on. I, quite often, I'd turn on the radio and uh, I'd play along with whatever songs were on the radio. And, uh, but in 1980, December, I got a call, phone call I never wanted to get. And that was that my father had been killed in a car wreck three days wow. before Christmas. And that was devastating. So yes. I, that was the really my first taste of real grief, I think, in my life. Uh, so that processing of grieving for my father began on obviously that day. But in January, after the funeral, now everybody's back to their lives. I remember sitting in my, at my grand piano down in the basement <clears throat> and I had just tuned my piano. It was a hundred year old Kanabi grand piano. It wouldn't hold its tune very well. And I had a tuning hammer. I would, I would tune it up and, you know, get it to where it sounded good. And after I did, I always play, wanted to play something pretty. But that time I sat down and Rob, I did not try to write a song. I did not, uh, even think I was writing a song, my fingers, we, I just started playing something and it sounded really good. And I played some more of it and it sounded really good. And I played and it was a verse and then it sounded like, well, it needs a chorus. So I played a chorus that went with it and it just was playing in my head and on my, on the keyboard. And when I finished, well, wow, that's, that's pretty good. So that song, it didn't have a name. I didn't even know I had written a song. It was just something I played yeah. and I liked to play. And then a few days later, Linda came home from work. She, I got home before she did. 
And so she came home and she said, what is the name of this song that's been stuck in my head all day long? And she hummed a little bit of it. And so I listened to it and I said, well, it doesn't have a name. And she says, what do you mean it doesn't have a name? You play it on the piano all the time. I said, well, it's just something I made up. And she goes, what? You made that up? Wow. So she said, have you written it down? I said, well, no, I've got it up here. <laughs> and she said, well, <laughs> something might happen to you and that song would be gone. So write it down. So she made me write it down and I did and put on the, the notes and the chords and, and I stuck it in the piano bench and that's where it stayed. Yeah. So that was how the song itself got written. I think it was really just an inspired gift to me. I, I was just the lucky one that got to play it. It was, I, it's just, that's how I feel about it. And, and people that hear it, also say that it sounds inspired to them so i'm i'm most grateful for that and it so was it was probably your dad guiding you i you know i've been i thought about that a lot if you listen to the song it has happy parts it has sad parts and it takes you through the roller coaster of emotions and and if you've ever been through a grief of through a loved one you know you ride that roller coaster of emotions Yep. There are times when you're happy, you think of pleasant things, and there are times when you're sad, when you miss that person. And so it's a it's a whole uh, panorama of emotions. And I think those all are in that song. And so and, I, and I've gotten letters from people that tell, describe it that way, even though they don't know my backstory. All right, we're going to play a play a little a little bit of it, a little bit of it. I'm not going to play the whole thing, but we'll play a little bit of it. And it's Bob. Seriously, don't make a liar out of me. <laughs> Isn't technology wonderful when it works? Yeah, like be before we came on, I had it on and ready, and now it's just not playing. <laughs> All right, let me try to re try to reload it. Here we go. There you go. The song hadn't even finished playing on the radio when the phone. Oh, that's your interview with Jack Canfield. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So when I first listened to it, because I, I usually don't listen to, to instrumentals. So I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure. But it sucked me, sucked me in. It did. So well, well done with that. Oh, thank you. It's a uh, it's it's a really a special song and it. It has touched a lot of lives all over the world over the last 40 years. You know, I, I, it got its name in 1990, in 1983, uh, when we named it for our godchild. <clears throat> Her name's Rachel. Here we go. And, that was my next question, but go ahead. Yeah. So I played it. I played it at her christening service and named it. When I finished playing it, I said, from now on, this song is going to be called Rachel's Song in her honor. And up to that point, it didn't have a name. And so that's how it got its name. And then three years later, uh, I was in, on a business trip with Western Electric AT&T in Nashville, Tennessee, working on a big project. And of course, as you know, Nashville, Tennessee's got tons of recording studios. And so yeah. Linda, Linda says, well, Dave, why don't you go into Nashville and find a studio and, and get a demo recording made of Rachel's song? Well, that's a great idea. So I, long story short, I found a a gentleman who introduced me to uh, Gary Prim, who's the studio musician that I 
uh, picked to record Rachel's song. And so he, he, we met in the studio and he, I, here I go in, I have no idea what to expect. You've been in a recording studio probably many times, but this was my first experience. And so I go in there with my little piece of paper of Rachel's song, just some notes and chords. And I have no idea what to expect. Gary comes in with his, his Yamaha synthesizer under his arm and sets it up and they've got a grand piano, little baby grand piano sitting in there. And the engineer sets everything up and Gary, I've, after the introductions, uh, and Gary was an instantly one of those people where he's an instant friend. I just, he was just one of those people where you, you love the guy from the get go. And so Gary, and since then we're, we're as close as brothers, but, uh, uh, he sits down at the piano and he starts playing Rachel's song and I'm back in the control room with the engineer and mm-hmm. I'm not believing my ears. I was, wow, I, that's my song he's playing in there. <laughs> so he plays it. And, uh, after a few takes, you know, he's got this, the piano part done. And I thought, well, yeah, that's great. I'm, I can't wait to use this. He said, Oh, I'm not done yet. And he says, I've got, I want to put some strings and some horns and some, uh, electric piano on here. And so he, they set up the recording tape again for him to put on his heads, his headphones like you've got on. And yeah. he's sitting there listening to his own piano playing. And, and then he's adding the strings and the horns and the other parts on other tracks. And so when he's done, we've got like, you know, piano, strings, horns, piano, and uh, uh, all the parts that then need to get mixed together. Well, that's just blew me away. I could not believe what I was hearing. I, I said to myself, you know, I, this is as good as anything I've ever heard on the radio. So I was just blown away with the quality. And so, Absolutely. You, you know, these people that do this music in Nashville, like Gary and all the studio musicians, they are so talented and they're one of their driving forces is what they produce has to be the best they can make it. There is no shortcuts. They don't do anything that's half baked. They're going to do it first class. And, and I learned that lesson from him that Gary, that this was not, they called it a demo and my, in my mind, I thought demo sounded you know cheap, but no yeah. demo means top of the line. If you're making a piece of furniture and you're going to try to sell a, a demo piece of that furniture, it better be spotless, perfect. Mm-hmm. And the same with music. So um, anyway, that, that song got recorded and uh, the tapes that I took home from that recording session were just, they just blew me away. I got so in, engrossed in the music in that in my rental car trying to back drive back to the hotel near the airport mm-hmm. i completely lost track of where i was i drove around nashville if you've ever been to nashville you know you can get uh-huh. lost in the I, those about three interstates come together and if you're in the left lane you need to be in the right you're just you're you're sunk <laughs> i circled i think i circled nashville about three times and i realized it because i saw the same billboard about three times <laughs> i was i was in another world i was listening to that music and i thought to myself you know this is it. That's one of those cases, occasions where you just know what just happened to you is going to change your life from now on. I didn't know how or what was going to happen, but I knew this was a life changing night for me when I heard Rachel's song recorded the first time. And it was. And it also it changed my life. It changed Gary Prim because Gary and I ended up doing 14 albums together. Wow. I mean, almost 200 songs recorded in the studio. You know, his and I got to know him and his wife and his two kids. And, you know, it's just a, a wonderful relationship. But the music got it all started with Rachel's song and it getting recorded. And then. All right. Let me it. let me play it again. I, I had the audio this time because I, I pulled okay. up a video last time. OK. okay. 
let's play let's play some seconds of it can you hear it yes turned it up a little bit Now there's a, there's a part coming up. There's a part coming up where it change, goes into the third verse and changes keys. Yeah, I don't know whether you can find that or not, but it is. It was so unexpected by me because all of a sudden you're listening to the song in in the key of C, and then it goes into the end of that chorus, and then and it goes boom da 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 da, and then all of a sudden, boom, instantly kicks it up a half step. And boy, the energy level just goes whoa through the ceiling on it. Yes, ab- absolutely. That that was the vibe I got when I first heard it. But like I actually yeah. looked, at, I listened to it three times in a row that that first time. You know, <laughs> I was like that. I was like that, that. That was high. I was like, let me play play it again because you yeah. know you pick up things the more the, the more you listen to it. And I was like, this is very very well well done, very well done. Yeah. And so yeah. so you, you finish this one here, and so now this opens up opens up the door so talk to me about the about the song you wrote right after rachel's song like how did you follow it up well it got played on the radio rachel's song did yeah and the reaction from people on the radio back then we had tons of easy listening radio stations and i did eventually get it played on every one of them across the whole country nice people started writing me fan mail letters they'd call the station want to know play it again play it again so i knew i had to do some more and so i got busy writing some more music because I, I only had one song at that point. I, I yeah. knew, and this, you, you, I made a 45 record out of Rachel's song. Now that was the only way I could produce a, a high quality way to give the song to radio stations back then. Yeah. They literally gave them a 45 record of Rachel's song. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you how, like, cause you said, you said you got it across the country. How, how did you do that back then? Well, part of it was I would be on my job. I was traveling with AT&T and uh, I would, some of it, I would have to drive to these places. And I literally did what Loretta Lynn did in uh, Coal Miner's Daughter. I would see a radio tower Mm. and I would go find that station and I would hand them my record of Rachel's song and say, would you, let me give you this. I'd appreciate if you'd consider playing it on your radio. So I did that everywhere I went. One time I was driving up the mountain from here to Virginia to a customer and I was going up the mountain and I tuned in the local AM station in Hillsville, Virginia, a tiny little town. And they, I just hit it when the lady, she came on and she said, well, now I'm going to play you my favorite song. And dogged if she didn't play Rachel's song, well, I about ran off the road. <laughs> that, was a, that was a little tiny station that I had stopped and given her a record of Rachel's song. So I did that, but then I also found out, <clears throat> excuse me, there are programming companies that provided music programming for hundreds of radio stations. Okay. So I would find the program director for easy listening music at this uh, Bonneville broadcasting or wherever it was that programmed 400 radio stations. Well, he loved the song. Well, that's all it took. And he loved the song. He put it on his pro- playlist and bingo, it went in 400 radio stations instead of just one or two. So that's kind of how it exploded across the whole country was I finally figured out I didn't have to work it all by myself, that there were other ways of, of getting that done. But but that really launched it into 
me realizing that this music really touches people and causes them to react and, and send me fan mail letters telling me their stories of how the music touched them. So how did you start the first, the, the first, what do you call them, bars? Like the first bar of the song? Like well, when you when you sat down at, and you just started going, like what like what was going through through your mind as you were piecing that that first bit of it together? Well, I uh, and I describe a little bit of this in my book, <clears throat> yeah. where I I sat down at the piano, and as I said, I was it was freshly tuned, and I was the next notes I was going to play were going to be something that I wanted to be pretty, so I started in the key of C. I just played a C chord. C in the left hand, a C chord in the right, and of course the top notes of C. And that's where Rachel's song begins with dum, da 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 dum. And I love the chord progression of a lot of rock and roll songs, of course, of C, A minor, F, and G. You can play that, that sequence with all the old 50s and 60s songs kind of thing. It's a one, six minor, four, and five in the chords. So I started Rachel's song in the C chord. And I did the melody down and I said, hmm, I think that goes to the A minor chord like I like for songs to go to. And then I went up to a D minor, actually a D minor ninth chord and played that note. That sounds pretty good. That, uh, and I, These notes just kind of flowed to me as I, it was like a conversation between me and the piano. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but as I was playing it, I could sort of hear in my head what's coming up next even though i'd never ever heard it before and so i played the next notes then and then it went to a g chord and then back to the c and then in the chorus part of it i said well most choruses go to the four chord or the f chord so i did the the part with an f da 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 and then i decided well i need to i'm gonna kick this to a minor chord f minor da 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 half down a half step and then back to a da 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 back to C, da 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 A minor, da 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 D minor, da 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 G, da da C. So it's a very very simple melody with just C A minor D minor, F I mean G, and then and the chorus is just F F minor, and back to C and so forth. So it's very very simple, but I've I've been told by a lot of people that as in other things in life, simple things can be just as powerful and actually more powerful and moving than something very complicated and busy. So, uh, so that's how the, the, and I remember it flowing out of my head and onto my, through my fingers onto the piano that evening, playing it for the very first time. And, and I really had no idea that those notes that I was playing would change my life. And it did. See, like, and I get that feeling when I, when I'm speaking, Cause like I don't I don't script out my my speeches. So if I'm gonna go talk for a business or in a school, I mm-hmm. I I go in with just me, you know. Mm-hmm. And so so this one day, my sister had her brain aneurysm burst back in 2016. You know, things have a 20 percent survival rate, but she's still here, right? So she's she's in the 20 percent. And it was one day I was like trying to piece together her story, and I I have I have a little voice recorder somewhere over here and so so like i set it down and i thought i pressed play <laughs> but you i mean I, I mean i meant yeah i meant record so i, I thought i pressed press record and then i just did like a 20 minute speech in my living room just outlining what happened to her 
that day and like how it affected us family and then her waking up out of the coma. Like I just went through the whole thing. Like I had tears in my eyes. Like I was, I was by myself in here, but it was such a heartfelt story. And mm-hmm. then I went, I went back to stop the recording. I was like, oh, I was like, I don't think I can duplicate what I just did. <laughs> you know, because when you do stuff from the heart, you yeah. know what I mean? Like it, it's completely unscripted and it's just like what I was feeling in the moment, you mm-hmm. know? And, but, but now just the point of that is, is when I tell her story, it's like, it, it's so powerful there's never a dry eye and there's so many teachable lessons in there, you know, cause like even now she still has partial paralysis on her left side, but she defied so many odds mm-hmm. and, and it still even adds to, to the story cause she still holds a little bit of anger that it happened to her. Sure. And, and I'm trying to help her see it's like, listen, this like, like I started this with, it's not what happens to you it's what you do with it. You know, what you can teach. Okay, this happened to you. I'm sure it sucks. But now how can you inspire others with it? You know, mm-hmm. and so I feel like that was you. You sat down to heal your own soul. And then you found out, I can inspire other people with this. Mm-hmm. And it completely turned your life around. You know, yeah. so it's like, like that's that's the power. You ha- You go from finding out what happened to your father to trying to calm your own soul. And now you're a global inspiration. Like it's just amazing how that works. And I wrote an article in Guidepost magazine in 1994. So that was, you know, a few years after this had happened. Yeah. And uh, there's a, we won't go into the backstory on how that came about, but mm-hmm. long story short is I ended up having an article called, uh, let's see if you can see that two part harmony that okay. is in, in Guidepost magazine in September of 94. And that little magazine goes to 2 million subscribers plus whoever they share it with and everything. And so the day that that little magazine hit the street, they put my phone number and address in the back of the book and said, if you want to know about more about Rachel's song, call or write Dave Combs and gave my 800 number and my, my address. Well, my phone started ringing and it never stopped. I mean, <laughs> you, you, if you get a, several million people that want to call a phone number, you're yeah. going to be busy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I had to hire two people. Two people, two ladies to help me do nothing but answer the phone. They just keep their hand on the receiver. Once it hung up, pick it up. Somebody else is already there every, you know, yeah. just all day long. And then the two days later, when the mail started coming, my mailman comes down the street with this canvas, gray canvas bag of full of mail that he can't even pick up. And he wow. comes to the front door, rings the bell. And he says, Dave, what in the world have you done? And so I said, <laughs> I just wrote a little article in guideposts and, they put my address in there. I said, oh, man, this is this is unbelievable. Well, in in less than two weeks, I heard from over 10,000 people. Wow. And, and since then, I've heard from over 50,000 people. Now, it, only you've seen 50,000 letters and notes or not, but it, it I put them out one day on top of my pool table. You can't mm-hmm. even, couldn't even tell there was a pool table underneath it. It was stacks, <laughs> stacks of letters and notes. And those are the ones that really inspired me to that, you know, I better not you know, the good Lord gave me this song. I better do something with it. He's expecting me to share this music with the world. Yes. And so that's what happened to that. And then last year in the pandemic, we're sitting around here uh, just before the pandemic. And Linda says, what, uh, you know, why don't you write a book about all these stories that you've got? Because I've got stories of how I, 
how I found my gift shop to play my music, how I how I got my radio stations like you you heard. Yeah. Tons of those stories that are really about an entrepreneurial side of the thing, not just about music. And so I sat down and for the last nine months, I have written my book and it's called Touched by the Music. And it's full of these stories about my, how I, I built the businesses, but stories about the, how the music has touched people's lives. And in the back of the book, I put a whole chapter full of these notes and stories from people that have written to me over the years. And so the book will be out in the, in the middle of October. So it'll be on Amazon.com as a paperback, a, a Kindle book, and an audio book. I spent <clears throat> about two or three weeks eight hours a day behind a microphone reading my book. Now <clears throat> you're, you're in a, you're in the broadcast business. So, you know, mm -hmm. you, when you're speaking all day long and recording something, it's, it can't be pretty tiring, but I've got the recordings about almost eight hours long to really read the whole book, but it'll be available as an audio book. You know, hear my country voice speaking all the words of the book. So. <laughs> Love it. So what, yeah. what are, what are some key takeaways in the book? I think uh, there's two of uh, one of the uh, people that, that, that wrote uh, an endorsement for me said the word that stu stood out for him was peace, that the music gave people peace. Well, Lord knows we need more peace in this world today. Yeah. But the, the, the amount of peace and, and calmness that this can give. And the other word is persistence. If you read my stories about where I tried to do this, that didn't work. So you back up and go around and you do something else. That didn't work. Now you try something else. And you go, that worked. Oh, let's do some more of that. And so the the, the steps from A to, to where we are today is not a straight line at all. And, and it's that path of progress from 1980 with one song to today with nearly 200 songs recorded and 15 albums and now a book and 11 music books. There's a lot of, a lot of water under the bridge between then. So um, uh, that's the, that's my, see what I've been doing. See, I'm glad, I'm glad you said that. Cause that's one of the big premises that this show is about is just overcoming obstacles. You know, people have to understand that just cause you hit one roadblock doesn't mean that's a sign for you to stop. <laughs> that, mm -hmm. that, just, yeah. that just means find, find a different direction. Like that, that's all that means. Even with this podcast, you can go back, to my first maybe 10 episodes to my last 10 episodes. They're completely different in delivery in look, you know, with the colors. Cause I started just on my cell phone, yeah. you know, and it really, really didn't have a topic of, of discussion, you know, and then I started going back to my knee injury and I had, you know, like I said, the doctor said I would never run a jump, jump again. So I coined the hashtag ignore the never. You know, because if you ignore the never, it says you'll run and jump again. And mm -hmm. so, so, that, so I need to go back and I need to make that the cornerstone of of the podcast. You know, so like overcoming obstacles and defying the odds. Because for the doctor to say that to me, that means a lot of people have that reality. I mm -hmm. said, so if I can be in the minority that pulls all the way through, there's power mm -hmm. in that story. You know, power. Absolutely. So when people come to me and say, oh, I wanted to do, to do this, but so-and-so told, told me it's too hard. I'm like, so-and-so can go screw. If this is what you want to do, you mm -hmm. got to take, take the steps to get it done. And, and so maybe it won't work that way. Okay. So we'll try this road. If, okay. Then try this road and just keep 
go until you mm-hmm. find the road that works. Yeah, <laughs> it's like that's what it's about. Yeah, in my book, I tell the story about how I hit a roadblock with how am I going to sell my music? You know, obviously, when you have a new product, you wonder, how can I sell this? Well, mm-hmm. I went to the big music stores. Back then, we had Record Bar and these music stores that sold records. Yeah. Well, I went to them, and they they wouldn't even give me the time of day because I was not a big name. You know, they were looking to sell the, the Michael Jacksons of the world instead yeah. of my music. And so mm-hmm. I went to this conference uh, in Washington, D.C. The Washington Area Musicians Association had a, a big conference, and they brought in all these people from all the record businesses, uh, uh, recording places, record stores, all that. And I remember approaching the, the fellow that was at Record Bar, for example, and I said, I had a little promo package that I had with Rachel's song and about me. And I said, here's, here's my little promo package about my instrumental song, Rachel's song. I'd like for you to consider it for selling it in record bar. And he, and he even pushed it back to me. He didn't even want it. He said, mm. he said, uh, don't even need to give me that. The instrumental music doesn't sell. So we don't have it. We can't do anything with that. And so, uh, this was after being turned down all day long. And by that time, I had a bunch of groupies behind me watching me get shot down everywhere I went. And so I, I told him, I said, young man, I said, I want you to keep this because someday you're going to look at this and you're going to realize you turned down something yeah, really, up. really special. Yeah. And and my the groupies behind me said, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, that, that was the day I went home and I told my wife, Linda, when she, I came in the house and how'd it go, Dave? I said, I threw my bag down on the counter and I said, wow, I don't know what I'm going to do, but I know what I'm not going to do. I am not dealing with those people. Mm-hmm. And so a lesson learned there was sometimes it's as important, maybe more to know what you're not going to do and what doesn't work as yes. what does work. And so I, I took that defeat and decided to turn it into a, decision to find out how it would work. And that's when I discovered that gift shops that played and sold my music were the outlet that I needed. And I ended up with a thousand gift shops across the whole country playing and selling my music. So when people heard it, when they walked into the gift shop, oh, what's that music playing? Have you got it for sale? Yep. Right here at the cash register. Take it home with you. That's how I sold my music. So that's that's a, that's my story of taking a, a right turn here. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how much, do, how much do you wish now back then that we had today's technology? Oh my gosh. <laughs> I think about that all the time. Cause you know, <laughs> when, when I did the, uh, the search for gift shops, I had to literally purchase a computer printout about four inches thick of all the gift shops in the country their name and phone number and address and so forth. There, there was no internet. There was no Google. There was none of this stuff. Yeah. So I bought the, I bought the printout. And then I also bought a big book that had all the, the crossroads in the United States. It's called the U S marketing Atlas. It had every town, city crossroad and their population. And so I took, I said, I know I need to be in places like blowing rock, North Carolina in Ellicott city, Maryland. Uh, you know, there's lots of little tourist towns. What's the characteristic of a tourist town? Tons of gift shops, but not many people live there. Right? So your ratio of gift shops to people population has got to be way out of whack with say a New York city or a big town. You know, it's, there's just no, no comparison. 
So I literally, using my analytical background, I took my printout, I counted up for every town in a state, how many gift shops were in that town. I went to my Atlas book over here, how many people live in that town? And I'm a computer person, so I, I created a little database. City, state, how many gift shops, how many people? And then I created a column called, divide this column by that column, give me the ratio of people per gift shop. And then when I did that, I said, okay, now sort my list by that ratio. And Rob, it was like cream rising to the top. Right at the top of the list for Tennessee, Gatlinburg, Tennessee, population so-and-so was only 800 people lived there, but boy, they had 57 or 75 gift shops. And likewise with the other place, even in states where I had never even been to like Kansas or, or uh, Montana, any places out in the Midwest that I wasn't familiar with, I knew where their tourist towns were all of a sudden because their ratio was right there. And so I started focusing my marketing on just those places. And my hit rate went from having to make 30 calls to get one to having to only make five to get one customer. That's awesome. So that was huge. And that was the, the days before they even called it big data or analytics. That was for me, that was my introduction to big data analytics. See, that's your, that's your math and physics background. That's right. That's right. <laughs> told, told you it all comes full circle. <laughs> Always. I, I put it to use. It didn't go to waste. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So our time is up. So give us, give, give the audience a final message. Well, my final message is that I want you to uh, hopefully find your way to listen to either Rachel's song or some of my other music. So that I know it will bless you. And I hope that you will also uh, being so inclined to go find my book on Amazon.com because I think that will also be a blessing to you as well. And I'm not trying to just pitch those, but I really believe my mission is to spread my message and my music all over the whole world. Awesome. Yeah, and don't have any regrets about pitching. That's what that's what this moment's for. You know, it's what this moment is for. So, you know, it's not just just me. I'm one person. I can I can you know inspire the entire world. So by bringing on these guests, we join our forces, we combine our audiences, and we do our part to help inspire others. So thank you very much for taking the time and sharing your story with us and, you know, for writing Rachel's song, because if you had never, never done that, we would probably wouldn't be here. <laughs> and thank you, Rob, for inviting me today. I've been looking forward to this ever since I talked with you a few uh, weeks ago, and yes. uh, you and I just had an a, we just clicked. So I, I was really looking forward to this and it has been great. Thank you so much. Awesome. My, my pleasure. And um, I'm going to connect you with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight other po podcast hosts. All right. Oh, so thank you. So, thank you. So be on the lookout for those connections. Yeah. As, as you, thank as you were talk, talking, I kept writing names down. Like he'll be good for her show. He'll be good for his show. <laughs> so, you know, that is spread, spread the love. That is very generous of you. I sure do appreciate it. My pleasure. All right. Thank you. Have a great day. You do too, Rob. Take care. All right. Bye. All right. So that was Dave Combs. You can go to combsmusic.com to check out his work. Book coming out in October. You want to hear the full clip of Rachel's song. It's in the description here on Facebook and YouTube. And it'll be in the description on the podcast site. So wherever you get your podcast from, it's on all the major networks. And, uh, It'll be right there. All right. So that's all I got for you. I will be back tomorrow with I don't remember who, but it'll be another amazing guest, rest assured. And as, as always, just remember, be you.
be your be you your own authentic self that's why you are who you are so you can be who you are <laughs> all right so i hope that made sense because it did to me have yourselves a great day you've been listening to shut up and grind We hope you've gotten some useful and practical information from this show. Robert has over 20 years experience pouring his knowledge and expertise at many events in the service and fitness industry, as well as secondary schools and universities. He has a true passion for helping others break through the barriers that are holding them back. To book Robert B. Foster to speak or to reach out, go to robertbfoster.com slash speaks on Instagram at Robert underscore B underscore Foster on Twitter at RBF underscore fitness and on Facebook at Robert B. Foster. Till next time, shut up and grind.